All right. Let's pray because I need the anointing of God for today. It's going to be good. It's going to be like a pre-DMS DMS session. So kick back, get a cup of coffee. Well, no, don't go and get a coffee now. Uh, but put your feet up, relax, because we're going to go for it today, all right? This is the end of my little um, mini three-week series, I suppose, on my story. And uh, I'm really excited to, to, to bring to you what I have to, to give today. So let's just pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for your anointing. I thank you for your word that uh, brings light and it brings life, Father. And it's living, it's, it's active, it's alive in me. And it has been living in me, Father, doing its work, separating my soul from my spirit, Lord, and judging the thoughts and intentions of my heart, Father. Uh, even when I didn't know what was going on on the inside of me, Lord, you've done it by the power of your word and you will continue to do it. So, Lord, I pray today that all of us would have ears to hear, that you would anoint our ears, you would anoint our hearts, you would anoint our spiritual eyes to see what it is that you're saying. And uh, anoint me, Father, to speak the truth in Jesus' name and not be too long in Jesus' name. Also, amen. Okay, that's always my problem when I get excited. All right, well, let's get right into it. The last two weeks, um, obviously, I've been talking about my story, a little bit of my story. And the first week was really, you could sum it up, I was basically talking about grief. And, uh, you know, just the deep trauma that I went through and learning that I'm not really as strong as I thought I was. Uh, the second week, which was last week, I spoke about the, the power of surrender. And uh, just learning uh, that it's okay to embrace the paradox of, of everything going on on the inside of me with, with, uh, with what God is doing. But today I want to talk about suffering. Uh, our very favourite subject, everybody, yes? Um, we all signed up to the suffering workshop, I can see. And, uh, but just you, yielding to suffering in our lives by relinquishing control to truth. And, um, you know, the first week I spoke about seeking first his kingdom. Even when we are enveloped by grief, uh, regardless of what we're going through, um, there are needs, but when we seek first his kingdom, those needs get met. And just the power of deciding to walk the tough journey of seeking first his kingdom. Um, and, you know, pushing through the demands of our own needs and placing him and above our needs. And I had to place him above my deep needs which were were very uh, much on the surface and yet I had to push through and that was very very painful um, but you know that's the principle seek first the kingdom and then those needs follow you and then the second week was all about obviously seeking his kingdom through surrender and like I mentioned earlier learning to embrace the paradox of our weakness in conjunction with and at the same time as his power and uh, it's a very powerful principle that I think we're all just going to begin to grasp. But as we go on in this, we're going to, going to understand more and more. And, you know, just commanding ourselves, the principle of commanding ourselves, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. You know, commanding ourselves to look up and seek Him and look at Him and make choices. Because you know what? Nothing and no one can stop us from choosing to put Jesus on the pedestal of our hearts and on our lives. And, you know, we learn through Zechariah 4 verse 6 that nothing is by our own might. It's not by our our own power. It's only by His Spirit. And so we don't have to be fearful anymore of people's opinions. Sounds great, doesn't it, when you say it like that? Living it out is a very hard thing, but we'll get on to that, all right? Uh, we don't have to fear people's opinions, and we don't have to be afraid of vulnerability. And like I said last week, you know, the secret to surrender, or sorry, the secret to breakthrough is surrender, to just let go and to let God. And that's a very powerful place to get to. And, you know, I, I, 
we're not sugarcoating this, are we? We're saying sometimes to find the kingdom of God, to seek first the kingdom of God, we do have to go through the valleys. And I know that there'd be many people here today suffering all sorts of things. I don't need to ask any of you what you're suffering, but there will be different degrees of suffering. There'll be loneliness. There'll just be the, the complexities of life itself. I mean, I know that's what I've been struggling with. Um, for some of you, it might be the instability of the changing landscape of church, and that's very important for you, and you can feel the, 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 the tumultuous season that that is, and it's happening everywhere. Uh, you might have many questions. Um, some of you feel like you're walking on water with the tough choices that you're having to make to seek first the kingdom of God. But the powerful thing is that he's always there. And of course, the last couple of weeks I'm using as my uh, baseline scripture, the one that we're sort of using as a platform for all of this, is out of Isaiah 41. And I'll just read it again one more time, 17 to 18. The afflicted and the needy are seeking water, but there is none. Their tongue is parched with thirst, but I, the Lord, will answer them myself. Wow, what a comfort that is. As the God of Israel, I will not forsake them. I will open rivers on the bare heights and springs in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land fountains of water. So obviously, as we've said the last couple of weeks, you know, God wasn't speaking to actual mountains, valleys, deserts and, and uh, wildernesses. He's speaking to his people because that's, they're the ones that he's actually going to come and answer and not forsake. It's his people. And, uh, and so he's describing the, the, the different elements of human suffering and human pain that we all go through. And I've explained, you know, how I view the bare heights and the valleys and the, and the wilderness and the dry land. You can go back and listen over the last two weeks. We looked at it extensively. And you know what? We all have these kind of needs that actually they demand from our emotions to be met. Like we can't bury them. We can't hide them. We can't sanitize them. We can't shove them under the carpet. Eventually they will come to the surface if we don't know what to do with them. But how they are met is what we have been learning. That we seek God's kingdom despite our needs. That we surrender even when we have the paradox of our weaknesses. And we surrender to his power. And uh, we realise that our weakness then becomes almost like a platform or a staging ground for his power. See, when we shift that thinking and we go, oh, I'm so weak, I'm so pathetic, I need to become more of a perfect Christian. No, no, no. We need to flip that around and go, you know what? It's kind of my superpower. It's, that's, my, that's my staging ground. Now, in, my, in that weakness, he's going to prove his strength. Even when I'm embarrassed and I don't want to go out and don't want bold Diane to come out of the box... She does anyway because God and his power takes over me. You see what I'm saying? And you'll have all different stories yourselves, but that's what happens. He somehow gets us across the line when it involves his people and his kingdom. And so now we want to discuss suffering. And, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, Sam said to me with, um, he was actually quoting his friend Will. Good to see you today, Will. Um, and I'm paraphrasing what Sam said to me, but basically, you know, Will said to Sam, I just want to help people know that they're not alone. You know, Will's a new Christian. I think, well, isn't that beautiful? As soon as he's got that love and that hope in him, he now wants to share it. And he also said, you know, that I want them to know they're not alone, that there is hope. And, um, you know, whether you and I are on the bare heights, whether we're on the valleys, in the wilderness, or the dry land, we are not alone. And that's what's really, really powerful. He is in the valleys, 
and he's ready to meet all of our needs. And yeah, there is hope. And you know what? It's okay to look weak. So I want to just continue a little bit more of my story without boring you too much with all my drama. Um, But just to give you a little bit of insight, because there is a reason for explaining these things. But, you know, basically it's now four and a half months ago. In a single eight-minute phone call, I completely unravelled. And uh, I have zero recollection, even now, of receiving that call. I only know from my phone records that I did, who it was and how long it went for. Um, Apparently, I didn't realise this until a month later when I looked up something on WhatsApp, I removed myself from a couple of groups. I don't remember doing any of this. Um, And I I just have no memory. You know, it's, it's fascinating how God has made our brains. It's just incredible. Um, it's like there's a, there was a protective mechanism in there, and you can hear the whole story in the last two sermons. Um, there was such anguish in me and such agony of spirit or soul, if you want to call it that, that I basically shut down. My brain shut down. And apparently I said to Brahm, because Brahm's told me all this in hindsight, he said, I, you know, after I started to cry, and, and I said, then I said, I feel really weird. And Brahm, Brahm, I can't even remember the conversation. And now I can't even remember saying any of that. So it just was this thing that happened. So the call basically triggered, well, I'll, I'll say crying if I want to sanitise it. I'll say groaning if I want to be honest. But the word that Brahm used was growling. And I'm like, Brown, can't, that word really, you, you can't use another word. That's like, you know, and uh, he's like, well, I don't know how else to describe it. And I figured, well, you know what, I can't sanitise my pain. But he said it was so loud. He said, I've been married to you for 42 years. We've known each other for 46 years, 45, I've lost count, 46 years. Been together for 46 years. He said, I have, and I've heard you cry a lot, but I have never, never experienced what happened to you that day? I can't even barely describe it. Brian, isn't there another word besides growling? Can't we just make this sound a little bit better for the sermon? He's like, no, that's the only word I can think of. And uh, he said it was such deep agony of soul that that's kind of how it came out. And I said, he said, you were so loud. And I said, Brum. could the neighbours hear? He goes, yeah, probably. And <laughs> we live on half an acre. And on half an acre, that's, that's not too small. And he still said the neighbours could probably hear. So anyway, I love my neighbours. I'm sure they love me. Haven't seen them since. Maybe they've, <laughs> maybe they've stayed away. That woman's really weird. Well, that's true anyway. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, there was such a... It was almost like a tsunami of pent-up emotions that came out in one moment. And the aftermath of that was... It was kind of like a, a landslide in me. This is the only language that I know how to describe what I've gone through almost like an avalanche of every bit of structure that I had placed around my heart just collapsed and fell around me. And this tsunami of pent-up grief just poured out. Um, You know, I realised more and more that we we pack our emotions in so tightly to manage them because we don't want them to escape and and, and we don't want to have to face them. It's just too huge for, for most of us. Well, not all of us, but for some of us it is. Ask the people that are on the brink of suicide. Ask the people that are so despairing they're getting addicted, addicted to drugs. Ask the people who are, you know, so enraged with something they feel like they're going to lose their mind. Like just, there are a lot of scenarios uh, that we can see the reality in people, like I'm describing. And, um, you know, we don't want to suffer. That's the thing. We have so much emotion sometimes building in us that we just, we pack it in. We, we want to manage it, but we don't want to suffer. But eventually things have to crack, 
Like, it's inevitable. And looking back on texts uh, that I was sending before, it's really interesting, actually. I look back on some texts that I, I actually sent um, to our group chat, my Brahms and my group chat with Carvin and Nana, and also with Chuki and Alana. And it was the same text I sent them just probably four or five days before. And I talked about, I asked them to pray, and I said, I feel like I'm enveloped by grief and I'm, I'm drowning in grief. Um, and it was only four or five, that was on the Monday. It was only Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Yeah, I can still count. That's good. That's good. <laughs> it's only four days later that this thing happened to me. So, and then there was another experience so that happened, which I won't bother telling you, but basically, when I look back, there was actually a build-up. There, there were signs along the way that something was starting to give. And um, it's very interesting. Um, you know, and then when you couple that, uh, that things are starting to give, because we can only do so much as human beings, when you're praying constantly, like I have been on prayer tower uh, for almost a year now, praying in the Holy Spirit, so praying in tongues, um, you know, I, I said to the Lord, and I think I preached on it one of my sermons sometime, that when we started Prayer Tower, it was, in, it was on May 13th, 2021, wasn't it, Carvin? And I said, Lord, I don't want my, I'm sick of my thoughts. I don't want my thoughts anymore. I only want yours because it was already starting to weigh me down. I was feeling the burden of everything that we were going through. Well, clearly God made uh, good on that, that request and he made the most of that stance of faith and he kind of, I feel like as I've prayed in the Holy Spirit, and this is what you guys are going to learn in DMS, when we pray in the Spirit, it's just so incredibly powerful. Um, it was sort of set me up for the fateful moment on February 11th. Um, and I believe it was initiated because he prayed it through me. You know, the Bible tells us, and I won't go into it too much, but in Romans 8, it says that when we don't know how else to pray, verse 26, he knows how to pray for us. He intercedes through us according to the will of God. This is the Holy Spirit. With groans, with groans that are too deep for words. So he takes the aches of our heart. He takes the groans that you can't express. You know, when I was growling, let's just say what it is, and I don't want any jokes after this, okay? I'm looking at all the culprits that I'm lucky to get it from. Um, but you know, he takes that pain that's obviously already in there. And when we pray in the Spirit, it's like he, he prays the will of God. The Holy Spirit prays the will of God out according to the, uh, yeah, through, through our own language. Sorry, through our own mouth with his language. It's, it's so powerful. And, uh, but you know what? I would rather at this stage of my life and ministry that my heart collapse then my ministry collapse, to be perfectly honest. I don't want to go through the fire and just scrape through when I get to heaven, um, which means I do need to allow suffering now, which was amazing to hear that new song. I love that new song. It was Dan's song. It wasn't Dan. I could tell. I thought, wow. He's, he's writing songs at the moment. Both he and Josh are writing songs that literally are about what is happening to us as a church. It's so powerful. But, you know, there's a scripture in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, and you can take down the reference. I won't read the whole thing, 10 to 15. And it basically says, let each one take care how he builds upon it, upon the foundation that is Christ. And then he says, each one's work will become manifest for the, for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. So this is what's going to happen to each and every one of us with our ministry, with our lives. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Now, I don't want to get 
to judgment day or to, the, to that day and stand before God only to realise that everything I've laboured over here on earth, building my life, building the ministry that God's given me and every one of us have been given a ministry. You may never hold a microphone, but you've all been given the ministry of reconciliation. You are ministers. And so I don't want any of us to get before God and then just realise everything we did is just burned up like that. I mean, we'll be saved and we'll get through, but it's just as if through fire. I think the important thing to remember is that Jesus is completely comfortable with our grief and with our suffering. An incredible scripture in Isaiah 53, verse 3. He was despised and forsaken of men. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. That's why, you know, I've mentioned the last couple of weeks about the condition of uh, the toxic culture in, in church. That's why that super hyperfaith, always strong, in inverted commas, leader is kind of irrelevant to that, to that kind of Lord, to this kind of head of the body of Christ. He was a man acquainted with grief. He, he was despised and we did not esteem him. But we have kind of the opposite of that in many leaders. I'm not saying all is because, of course, we have many humble pastors and leaders throughout the world. But the one that seems to have come to the surface and that has the loudest noise and the, the loudest cymbal clanging sound in the world is the one that uh, is that you know, hyper faith kind of always strong leader and yet the Bible says a contrite spirit is actually what is needed and that's what will build the church and what and you know last week I mentioned the American church and I want to touch on this just a little bit more this isn't the body of what I want to speak on I just want to bring these, these things to our attention but I want us to understand that God is in the business of purging his church and cleansing his church. You know, it's, it's where judgment starts. The Bible says judgment begins in the house of God. So we shouldn't be surprised when God does things. And, uh, you know, when it comes to the American church, and of course, when I say the American church, it's not every stream, everything, but there are certain, certain elements and certain streams of the American church uh, that have a very loud voice. And just as America is a very loud political uh, an economic uh, leader in the world, so too parts of the, the American church have, have positioned themselves to be a very strong voice. And you don't have to go far to see the influence of the American ch uh, church culture uh, that, that is at the top of the, the rung, so to speak, uh, to see it already here in Australia. We watched it happen throughout the, probably at the end of the 80s and the beginning of the 90s. We've watched it happen in Indonesia. You just see this infiltration. Well, because there are certain aspects of the American church um, that just don't want to look weak. And that's kind of the opposite of, of where God is leading us. And God will take them and also those of us who followed that kind of aspect of, of church, um, he'll take us through the fire. He will. Because it's his church. It doesn't actually belong to people or a denomination. And if we won't embrace the paradox of vulnerabilities um, and allow our weaknesses to be compatible and to live alongside the power of God, then that mindset then infiltrates like leaven into the rest of the body of Christ. And uh, we see that... I, I, Definitely see it in the Pentecostal stream because I've come from the Pentecostal stream here. And you need to understand, Brahm and I were part of an American-based church here in Melbourne in the 80s for 10 years. And that was, that's at the forefront of 
So I, Brahm and I know this with our eyes closed. We know this. We didn't have to go to America or watch TV to see anything. We've lived it. We've lived the, the horror of this kind of, of, this kind of church experience. Um, and, and, but it's also not just the Pentecostals. You know, you can talk about the Southern Baptists. In fact, um, you know, they're, they're going through a huge thing at the moment, the Southern Baptist Convention, where a whole lot of sin, I don't know if anyone follows that, but they're going through a whole lot of thing where um, decades-long sin by pastors, sexual abuse, basically, uh, that's been covered up by the church leadership for economic reasons, for brand reasons. Like, everything's about brand, guys. Like... It's no longer the church, it's, it's, it's a business. Uh, it's, it's unbelievable. And so um, that's all being uncovered now. And so it should be. But, you know, you see these things. So what these, these roots um, and all these foundations are so questionable. Um, even with the, the Southern Baptists, you know, the reason they became called the Southern Baptists because the Baptist church split because there were some down south um, who were basically slave owners. So it was split because of money and power. And the, the, the Southern Baptists basically became a separate denomination in 1845, pretty much along the north-south lines over slavery. Now, what a disgraceful, I'm sorry, but what a disgraceful, no, I'm not sorry. What a disgraceful, I'm not going to say sorry anymore. Thank you. Thank you, Diane. I woke up the other morning after preaching last Sunday, I said, Brum, I'm going to be like Paul. I'm going to say the truth. He goes, I'm going to be like Jesus. So yeah, whatever. <laughs> he always likes to beat me. I want to be like Paul. Well, I just want to be like Jesus. Yeah, whatever, Brum. Um, so... You know, but these are disgraceful foundations. It's kind of like the, the church in South Africa with the apartheid movement. The church has so much to answer for in so many nations over so many centuries. It's, it's extraordinary. But there's always a remnant of the real church that is just humble and, and weak and dependent on the power of God. So I want to expand a little bit also on what I said last week about the conference that I was speaking at when I did my, you know, the American church is sick. And I said it probably five or six times. Um, you know, and I was talking about how these youth leaders led their youth out. And uh, I understand if you want to take your youth and you can go back and listen to last week to, to get context if you weren't here. Um, I said, you know, that's okay if they want to go out. Well, in the context, that, you know, if it's your lunch break and you want to meet someone that's going to really impart something to you in a discipleship manner to set you on course, that's great. But I completely disagree with the celebrity culture that was actually surrounding that moment that I was discussing. And, um, you know, as human beings, this is what's crazy. We tend to come up with this pseudo way of doing religion. We cover up our real selves and, we, and our, all our struggles and we create this false culture of false spirituality and false success. And it's not a contrite and broken, in my weakness, he is strong. Um, no, it's, 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 it's the opposite to that. And it actually makes brokenness and simplicity look really weak. It really does. And, uh, and this is what some of the American churches brought into, are bought into, and has bred worldwide. And I've got to the point now where we have to talk about this. We actually have to address this. Carvin and I, you might be sitting there, oh, what's Carvin thinking? Hey, you wait till he preaches. He'll, <laughs> he'll either abuse me or he'll agree completely. Um, but no, he and I talk about this all the time, don't we, Carve? And uh, it's, 
It's about looking at the, the belief system. We're, we're speaking and addressing a, a belief system here, not people. It's a belief system. And uh, just like Paul addressed Peter about a wrong belief system, there comes a point where we have to start addressing because it's infiltrating Australia. It infiltrates everywhere. And then we get whole generations. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. Go back a bit, Diane. Um, you know, it's brought into this and bred it worldwide. And literally, you just have to follow the money to see where the emphasis is. Um, it, the money in America, I'm telling you, it goes to gifted people. It, it goes to gifting, not servanthood. And in a sense, Carvin touched on this a few weeks ago, talking about we've celebrated the gift and thought that was leadership. And you have to ask yourself, what are they addicted to? It's the celebrity. It's all about the one. It's all about me. It's, it's the most self-centered. It's not even the gospel of Jesus. It really is not the gospel of Jesus. It's the, you can't even call it a gospel because gospel means good news. It is just the, the breeding of what the flesh wants and how it uses yeah. Jesus. It's not even Je the real Jesus that they're talking about. So, you know... What are they applauding the loudest? And what have the church... This, it speaks to me about what church leadership has focused because sheep follow the voice of their shepherds. And if the shepherds are all saying the same thing to thousands of people, then they're just going to start doing that. You know, they innocently learned a long time ago, and I know this because we were born again into all of this in 1979 and by 1980, 1981, it was all starting to happen all around us. They innocently learned. I mean, that's why, <laughs> that's why in 1980, we'd just been saved a year, filled with the Spirit, probably four or five weeks. And Frank Houston, Brian Houston's father that we hear all about, started frying us up. He rang me while I was at work and I, I didn't know who this man was and, um, you know, asking us to fly up. He didn't know anything about our character, anything about our condition, didn't know anything about our personalities or what church background we was, but he flew us up back and forth to, to Sydney to sing in Sydney Town Hall and it gathered the crowds in. But that mentality came from America because way back probably in the 20s and the 30s, they learned that, you know, and it kind of happened innocently, but it became something not innocent very quickly. They learned that good music draws crowds. And it helps win souls, which sounds great, but not when it rapidly develops into an out-of-control beast called the worship industry that looks absolutely nothing like the church I see in the Bible. And it looks absolutely nothing like the worship that I see in the Bible. You know, Paul and Silas were worshipping in a jail and the jail doors break open because they're worshipping and singing. Was it Paul and Silas just checking Bible? Acts chapter, yes, correct. Acts chapter 16, I believe it is, everybody. Um, you know, so that's what those youth leaders were communicating to their kids, that it's more important pursuing fame and getting a signature of someone and leaving a meeting 15, 20 minutes earlier and, and beating the other youth groups, because there was a whole lot of them, all over the stadium. I saw whole little, like little caterpillars, all going out, um, to get in first, to get at the table, to get the signatures. Um, that was more important than the breakthrough that the truth, truth would bring. And that is what so many famous people do too, from the bigger picture. They hold themselves up and they say, my life is worth following because I'm successful with my gift. I'm a Christian celebrity, I've made it, I've got the fame, I've got the fortune, I must be someone you want to follow. I've got the most Instagram followers, I've got the, I won't say other things, but they've got everything, right? 
But that stinks before God. And that is a sick church. And there's no power in a church like that. You know, I remember someone saying to me you know, 10 years ago, um, a couple of people were saying, wow, you could be the next Joyce Meyer. And I know most of you won't even know who that is. But, um, you know, and uh, we can help you do that. And first of all, I thought, wow, that's kind of weird. Like, that's the only model that they know. Um, why would I want to do that? Why would I want to uh, just enrich myself and separate myself from God's people? Um, hey, if I want to be rich, I'll go out and... I'm a good entrepreneur. I could go out and be a very wealthy businesswoman. Sort of runs in my family. Um, but that would just separate me even more from God's people. You know, I want to get my hands dirty. I want to plant churches. That's what God's asked me to do. He's asked me to use my ministry to empower other people with the true riches. And it doesn't involve fame or money incentives. You know, I could go on and on about this, but... Um, you know, if you want to meet me because I will disciple you, that's great. I'd want to meet one of the apostles. But if you only want to meet me and rub shoulders with someone famous, and I only give signatures because I perceive myself as someone famous, um, then we're not really prioritising the right thing. And that has to be the most tragic, shallow thing that I've ever seen. And we have to ask ourselves the question, where is the cross in that? Come on, guys. I know this is you know, 21st century. I know we're flooded with everything else that tells us the opposite. But in the midst of all this, God's trying to cry out to our hearts and say, will you just let me show you what church looks like? Will you just let me take you there? That's so powerful. Uh, there's no power in a church like that. You know, and, and you guys have had enough. A lot of you younger ones who grew up in church, you know, um, you've, you can see right through it all. That's why, that's why so many of your age group you know, 20, probably the 30s really, um, have not even gone to church anymore because you got sick of it. So much was offered from our generation, but so little was delivered. Um, they didn't make good on the big promises of what God was going to do. Um, instead, we should have been telling you where true power comes from, and it's through death. So, celebrity culture from the world and the church cannot be there. It, you know, when it says, imitate me as I imitate Christ, it does not mean my great success in worldly terms is worth imitating, but my utter need of him is what is worth imitating. Uh, if I can show you how I live through suffering and weakness, then that's powerful. And if I can stand in a position of leadership and I can tell you boldly, this imitate me as I go through my suffering and as I go through my weaknesses, there's power in that. You know, you look at Paul. Paul went from the least of... I told you this is like a DMS session, guys. You put your feet up if, if you want to. Paul went from the least of the apostles. He this is how he talked about himself. Then he said, I'm actually the least of the saints. And then by the end, he was writing, he said, I'm the greatest of sinners. He learned power of the cross. He knew. So guys, we don't need individualistic fame. We just kind of need each other. We just need to build one another. Um, yeah, powerful thing to realise when we can live in community. You know, I love how Sam, I love quoting what you guys have all been preaching on, but Sam back in May said, sometimes the biggest need is the emotional need. Uh, yes, we have our own needs, but, but what, is, what is in your hand? You know, if you've just got two, two fish and uh, five loaves, use that and take 10 minutes to call a friend. And, you know, we heard that we're a child of God, that that's our identity. Um, and I would like to stay, take that another step. Let's show another that they also are a child of God. Expend what little we have in our hands, yeah? 
and we live in community. Let's show another person how to reach the kingdom of heaven. Um, and when we do, you know what? We'll notice the bare heights on other people and the deep valleys. You'll hear it. You'll notice the ache in people's hearts and you'll catch the emptiness. All right? So we, we can't stop giving out. In fact, the, the worse off we are, the more we need to press in and give out and find someone else out. All right, so let's move on from that. Uh, we, we looked about at last week, I think it was, we were talking about Peter and how he suffered. And uh, he was learning the consequences of uh, fear, the fear of man, learning the consequences of denial. Um, but then, of course, the guy has this phenomenal comeback in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2. He's the one that gets chosen to, to preach the first sermon uh, on the day of Pentecost. And he's this young buck. You know, he would have only been in his early 20s probably. You know, he, the guy's a fisherman, so he probably had tats. I mean, I'm really making all this up. He probably had his guns showing. Is that the right word? I'm trying to be cool here. He probably, yeah. Anyway, he probably had the latest beach hair, guys. Like, is that even cool a thing anymore? A man bun. Bram could almost have a man bun at the moment. But, you know, this guy was a, a, a big fisherman. That's, that was his background. He's this cool. He kind of looked a lot like the, the young preachers that we see that are, very, that are held up to be the ultimate successful young preacher, pastor, you know. And this guy's feeling the anointing. The guy's probably pumped. Not only that, in the Gospels we hear he walked on water. I think about it. Think about it, guys. He would have been very muscly from pulling in the, the ropes. He you know, would have been suntanned. Like you've, got to, you've got to see the correlation between the pastors and the preachers that are held up to us as successful right now. Come on, guys. You know this is true. The ugly and the, and the skinny and the whatever aren't normally the most popular ones on the internet. It's the cool ones that, like Bram says, they open their Bible and they go like that with their muscles, you know, like, you know, I can't do what he does. Okay, let's move on from that. I've drawn that picture enough. So, but this is a guy who walked on water. This is a guy in Acts chapter 3. Um, when he was with John, he saw the power of the name of Jesus in action when, he healed, when God uh, healed a, a lame beggar. And then in, uh, he, he was led out of jail supernaturally. Uh, in Acts chapter 5 with Peter and, and the other guys, the apostles. And then again, another angel led him out of prison again, just after James had been killed in Acts chapter 12. And of course, in Acts chapter 5, he saw the, God, the power of God's holiness with Ananias and Sapphira just falling down dead. In Acts chapter 8, he, he saw the power of God with Simon the sorcerer. Like, the stories are all there about what Peter, this young, this young buck, this fisherman, this full of the power of God has seen. And yet, still, like we learned last week, he would not face his brokenness after that initial denial. And that was before the cross. Because we see that after the cross, when he was in the church at Galatia, that he misused his leadership after all that power. And he yielded to a false truth. Yeah? So why? Because Peter didn't want to suffer either. He didn't want to face his stuff either. He didn't want to face his crap. He just wanted to be popular. He just wanted to feel the power. He just wanted to be excited. And yeah, this is amazing. Look what God's doing. I just passed by my shadows healing people. You know, this is what our flesh loves. And we get, we get hyped up on this stuff. But no one wants the suffering part. No one wants that part. And clearly the guy hasn't faced what he needs to face. The Bible tells us that. But something happened in him because by the end of his life, when they were going to crucify him, he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified in the same manner as my master. And he asked to be crucified upside down. 
Now he's gone from someone who was very afraid of suffering and afraid of people to now being asked to be crucified upside down. So what happened to change him? Well, last week, you know, I mentioned how Brahm always says to me, the, the, the truth is our strength. And I posed the question, well, how did truth ultimately strengthen Peter? Well, we're going to look at that right now. And, you know, I love how in John chapter 17, at Jesus' closing prayer to the Father about his disciples, he said, uh, keep them, I, I do not ask you to take these disciples, these people that I've had out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. He said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is the truth. And he said, um, I've sent them into the world and for their sakes I sanctify myself that they themselves also might be sanctified in truth. All right, I want us to hear that word coming through. All right, so let's look at that. You know, Peter lived out his weaknesses publicly. Um, Remember the story that I just was referring to? He was rebuked by Paul, this new kid on the block. Um, Imagine the emotions that he experienced at what he did and what he struggled with. But when you look at his writings, you start to see what actually happened to him. And in 2 Peter 3, 15 to 16, I won't read the whole thing, but you can go back and look at it. He says, he talks about our beloved brother, Paul. So, oh, okay, so Paul's back in the good books, right? Um, Then he talks about the wisdom given to Paul. Then he talks about how... uh, in all of his letters, Paul's letters, in which some things are hard to understand. So he acknowledges the the incredible amount of wisdom and and God-given knowledge there, which which the untaught and unstable, find that really fascinating that he uses those words, distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. So this guy now with Paul, that he sort of was publicly humiliated by, remember a guy who's got the fear of man on him, is now stating this guy's actually writing scriptures. He's acknowledging. Uh, he's saying it's part of, part of scripture. And he's commending Paul. So there's phenomenal humility being presented here. So he's dealt with something. Um, because he had obviously learned the need for solid teaching, as he referred to, the need for stable emotions, and the need to face the challenge of things hard to understand. I think we can all say we need all those things. We need solid teaching. We need stable emotions. I do. Um, and I need to face the, these challenges, yeah, of things that are hard to understand. So here's Peter, a guy who had been fearful of people's retribution, um, And he walked out his life with a weakness and yet he conquered. And I love that. I absolutely love that. So what was the truth? You know, let's answer that question from last week. What was the truth that helped him? Well, you first have to ask him what was the lie that bound him, right? The lie that bound him was the fear of suffering. You know, didn't want to be exposed to who he was by a couple of servant girls. That's ridiculous. But there was a fear of suffering. This is what the fear of man looks like. The fear of man's opinions in Galatians. He didn't want to be different to everyone else and and, and be be strong and be firm. Um, And that he needed to and that he could keep himself safe. So that's the lie. But the truth was that the only safe place was the death to self and surrendering to the work of the Spirit in him. Because you know why? A wise man once said this to me, risking disapproval is a sign of strong identity. It's a very powerful thing. And when he said that to me, I kind of, because I 
that was a big thing for me because of the embarrassment and everything. Risking disapproval means really putting myself out there, saying things that I could get pushed back on, saying things that I know I need to say, like the American church is sick and countless other things that I've said over the years. But the pushback on those things causes disapproval. Can I cope with that? But risking disapproval is a sign of strong identity, and he learned that. So what was the change in Peter? Now, I'm going to just say some scriptures. Obviously, you won't be able to look them all up. You can go back and watch, uh, listen to it online. But he began to understand the power of suffering. And if you go back and read just one Peter alone, I'm, I didn't even listen to Second Peter. In fact, there was so much seed in, in today's sermon that I know our preaching guys, um, I, I'm going to put the challenge out there. If any of you want, one of you want to see even in Second Peter what it was that he learned. But it's very eye-opening when you think of the background of Peter and then you, you map it against or superimpose it against what he writes now in First Peter. You can see what God has done in this man. And you know, he starts it off in verse 4 saying that there's an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So the, first of all, he's realised that he, he doesn't have to keep his perspective on the now any longer and keep worrying about what's going on around him. He's, got, he's lifted his eyes and he's seen Jesus above the fear of man. Here in verses 6 to 7, you can see how he mentally toughened up and he made the decision, like we talked about in week one, uh, to walk through the tough journey of seeking first the kingdom. It says in verse 6, it says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary. Like we literally have to remember those words, if necessary. It's kind of like if necessary, we will go through the fire of the purging of God. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. It says so that the tested genuineness of your faith will be more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. And he, so he learned that and accepted and knew the fire of the if necessary. He didn't like the if necessary when it first happened to him. He didn't like the fire of if necessary when those servant girls challenged who he was and suddenly he's exposed publicly. He didn't like the if necessary when the Jews came, the Jewish um, sect of the, the Christian faith came to, into the church at, uh, at Galatia and, and started talking. And he, he didn't like the if necessary of standing against them. He didn't like that. But clearly he's now learnt that. So you can learn a lot just by reading what he, what he has written. He learned the principle of girding up the loins of your minds. Well, that sounds really weird, but what does that really mean? And it's basically alluding to the uh, traditional long robe that has to be tucked up into a girdle um, to prepare people to go on a, a long journey. And it was, you know, it first happened, I think, in, um, was it Exodus, Bram? When they were about, the children of Israel were about to, they had to leave and prepare for a long journey and they had to gird up their loins. In other words, prepare your long tunics, tuck them into your belt so you won't be hampered and hindered and it won't uh, stop you from a long journey. It won't hamper that physical activity. So he says in verses 13 and 14, prepare your minds for action. Prepare your minds for action. Gird up the loins of your mind. And he talks about um, being sober-minded. So he's realising he's got to be really serious about this stuff now. He can't just kind of flip over it and just be all excited about walking on water and, whoo, you know, and get, angels got me out of jail twice. This is incredible. This is incredible for my website and my newsletter and, and my worldwide ministry and my, you know, speaking engagements. He got over all of that fleshly kind of response and now he realised I have to be really sober-minded about this 
My mind needs to be girt up with truth. This is what needs to happen. And he says in verse 14, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Clearly he's walked that out. Clearly he realises I had a lot lot of former ignorance. All right, there are so many scriptures. I'm going to run out of time, but I'm going to, I'll give them to you. Verses 22 to 25, it says, purify, we've we've purified our souls by our obedience to the truth. So he's, he's grown. He's realising he's got to be obedient to truth. He understood the paradox of saving. Uh, I'm going too fast now. I'm messing up my words. He understood the paradox of suffering. And he knew the passions that waged, a war, waged war against the soul. Beloved, verse 11, he says, uh, of chapter 2, he says, Abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. He's experienced that. He understands that. He's endured sorrows in verse 19. He's telling us one who endures suffering while unjustly, while suffering unjustly. He said that's a gracious thing. That's a, that's a gracious thing when we endure sorrow and we suffer unjustly, which is what he's experienced. It goes on and on. He surrendered and entrusted himself to him who judges fairly. I think that's one of the most powerful scriptures that has got me through the last 10 years. And it's in verses, chapter 2, verses 20 to 23. But he says, when Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges fairly or justly. All right? He talks about when we do, when we suffer, even though we're doing the right thing, it finds favour with God. That's what we've been called to. For this, you have been called to this, to this level of suffering, for doing the right thing, even when you are persecuted. Guys, it takes guts to stand with your face against the wind and stand on truth, when truth is your only thing that is holding you up. He learned fearlessness in verses 13 to 17. He learned honour in verse 15 of chapter 3. He learned that you can suffer for doing good in verse 17. He knew what it was to arm ourselves with the right way of thinking in chapter 4, verse 1. He learned the power of love, casting out all, all fear when he talks about love in chapter 4, verse 8. He learned that he was no longer had to be rocked by trials. Instead, he could rejoice uh, when he when he went through a trial, he because he knows now he is blessed when he is insulted. That's in verse chapter four, twelve to fourteen. He says, and this is really powerful. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice, rejoice. Now I want us all to hear. I don't. I don't want you all thinking about your lunch. Okay. These scriptures and this truth is life-changing. If we will actually allow God to open our ears, okay? Do not be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when the glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. He comprehended the power of surrendering. He says in verse 19 of chapter 4, Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful survivor. All his language points towards just let go and let God. Just surrender. That's what he says. 
he was shifted from the pain of weaknesses to being established on truth. It's so powerful. And the last one I'll I'll briefly mention in chapter 5, he talks about casting all your anxieties upon him. Be sober-minded and be watchful. He began to realise there's an adversary, the devil, who's prowling around, seeking someone to devour. He's saying, resist him. Be firm in your faith. Knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced. And then he says, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace will come and restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you. That's only in one Peter. Wow. So what did he do? He relinquished control by yielding to the truth. It's very evident in his writings. He made the tough choices with his thinking. He grasped the paradox of suffering, walking hand in hand with supernatural power and strength. He surrendered himself into the hands of him who judges fairly and ultimately he chose truth. So I want to finish on this. What is the truth that strengthened me? What is the truth that strengthened me? Well, once again, I have to also ask, first of all, what was the lie? You can't think about truth until you understand what the lie is. What was the lie that kept me bound and nearly destroyed me? Nearly stopped me from even wanting to go on. Not mentally, but emotionally, I felt like I was dead. I felt like I had nothing left to give. Okay, it nearly destroyed me. You know, you can bind the devil and all that sort of thing, but God was putting me through the fire for a reason. Sometimes we blame the devil for a lot of stuff when really it's just our own stuff that God is trying to set us free from. The lie was this, that I needed to and that I could keep myself safe through all my own internal safety nets and my own strength. But the truth is, just like Peter, The only strength, the only safe place is in him and dying to my own strength. And risking disapproval is a sign of strong identity. I'm stepping into that by God's grace, not because I'm puffing my chest out and going, well, I can do this. No, 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 no. When? I've tried that for 40 years. It doesn't work. Okay? We don't want to suffer. We don't want to appear weak. We don't want to be lonely, uh, lowly. And the flesh hates the humility of the cross. You know, if you want to see God move in you, I'm going to encourage you to go on prayer tower. Go on prayer tower for six months. Get on there. Pray in the spirit. Pray in English. Worship. I go on there pretty much almost every day. And I'm just worshipping. I have it going in the background while I'm working. And I'm worshipping and I'm praying in the spirit. And you see what... He does. It may not be what you wanted, but it will be what he wanted and what you need. Okay? So I had to learn how to relinquish control of my own safety, and he led me to a very deep truth. It's just amazing. You guys don't understand what a miracle it is for me to be standing here. Those close to me hear all the ugly stories get the texts and the phone calls, but it it really is a miracle that I'm just standing here doing this. And, But I can only say it's by the grace of God and the truth of God's word. You know, I've preached so much on, you know, relinquishing control and, and all these sort of things, but now I'm living it well and truly. And the thing I've discovered is that the darker it gets around me, the more... It's like God is pushing me to find the real power of the cross. 
It's like the, 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 the greater the intensity of the suffering, you know, if ne- the if necessary kind of suffering, the, you know, don't be surprised at the fiery uh, uh, think trials that you go through kind of necessary. You know, the more those things, they're, they're weighing on me, they're pushing on me, thinking, I mean, even this week, I just said to Brian, even on Thursday, I just don't think I can preach this week. I've got nothing. And yet, you know, he met with me yesterday and he met with me at four o'clock this morning. It's, it, I just can't get over the goodness of God and the Word of God. I've, I'm learning that surrender and embracing suffering is how He will use me. It's like when I go through those things, it's like it cuts out the poison. It, he gets in there with a scalpel and gets rid of the, the wrong thinking in me and pushing me to truly let go of the things that are most precious to me. That's a hard thing for us as human beings to do. You know, do I sink or do I swim? You know what? I made a choice a long time ago to throw myself in and run after him. Run after him. He's teaching me, guys. He's teaching me to love, to truly love sacrificially. He's not letting me off the hook. He's surrounding me with amazing opportunities to love sacrificially. He's teaching me to push through my heart anguish and face the deep fears and be like a dead man walking. Um, why? So that he can live through me. Um, you know, back in June 1983, and I might get the worship team up in just a minute, um, we had a prophecy. It's 39 years ago. We had a prophecy um, out of Habakkuk, and it was from a prophet who was known to be very accurate. And it, was this, it seemed very exciting. We were brand new Christians. And it says, look among the nations, observe, be astonished, wonder, because I'm doing something in your days. You would not believe it if you were told. You know, write down the vision. You know, wait for it. It, it, would, it will tarry, but it will surely come. So we got really excited. Oh, there's something coming. Until I began to understand the Bible and I realised actually the whole book of Habakkuk is about God setting up judgment for the people of God. So when... The prophet was speaking. He wasn't saying, look among the nations, it's going to be amazing. He's saying, write it down and be ready because this ferocious army is coming against God's people. It's intense. So the whole, it's actually the flip side. It's not something's going to happen. No, something so bad that you would not believe it if you were told. This is 39 years ago. Um, And he goes on, uh, sorry, that's right. And in verse 6, it talks about a ferocious attack on the people of God. And it says they are dreaded and they are feared. And th- th- that fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places, which is people, which are not theirs. Okay, so this is back in 1983. They are dreaded and feared and their justice and authority originates with themselves. So it's self-will, self-power. All right. And then in, and another part of the, the prophecy was, you know, record the vision, write it down, that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens towards the goal and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come. It will not delay. Well, you know what? No. I found myself saying this over these last few years. You know what? No, I would not have believed it if I had been told back then. In 1983, if I had been told what was going to happen to the world, if I was told what the world was going to look like, I would not have believed, you could not even have, I could not have even comprehended. 
And so I used to pray according and, and stay in that place of prayer and stay in faith because also in Habakkuk it says, but the righteous shall live by his faith. So in other words, there's something ferocious coming. I'm just warning you, you won't believe it even if you are told how bad it's going to be. But throughout that entire experience, all I'm asking of you, all I'm asking of you is just keep your eyes on me because I want you to walk by faith. And you know, the blindness of faith is the thing that has kept us going. When everything, the darker the situation gets around us, the greater the pressure that comes upon us. We're like, God, no, I would not have believed this had I been told. But I will walk by faith and I will not walk by sight. I refuse to walk by sight. And it's like clawing your way towards the faithfulness of God to fulfil His promises. Woo! Wow. But you know what? He always had a plan. He's always had a plan. He had a plan back then. And he's always had a plan. And I'm starting to learn why I can rejoice now in the midst of my suffering. And I'm going to ask the music team to come up. And I think maybe Romans 5, yeah? It's amazing. Romans 5 was written by our son, Ben, um, pretty much nine or ten years ago when our family was going through something really intense. And he went to the scriptures and he wrote this song. Uh, out of Romans 5, and it's perfect. It's, it's a song of perseverance, so we sang it this morning. But I'm starting to rejoice in the midst of my suffering. I can see that he's taking me to the fullness of the power of the cross. You know, the power of the cross isn't something that we ascend to mentally, it's something we live out. It's something we actually have to walk in. And uh, it's not about just dying to ourselves. It's actually going to the next step and allowing ourselves to, st- to suffer. To understand that in our weakness, He is strong and letting go of everything and learning to rejoice. Not under sufferance, not, you know, well, I have to rejoice, not a religious, well, I have to put up with this, I have to suck it up, princess, I just have to rejoice. I'm not talking about that kind of rejoicing. I think so often Christians do that. This is genuine rejoicing. You know why? Because that's where the power is. And that's what we've been missing. That's what the church has been missing. Because human beings don't want to suffer. So I absolutely need and now want more of the cross for the sake of living it out for you guys. And I'm I'm concluding now, but I want... I want you to really listen to this last bit because this is the, these are the punchline scriptures right now. You know, he's been trying to push me for years to face this stuff. And I didn't want to face the pain of getting here. But I'm so thankful that I'm starting to get it. All these years, I've been using my own strength to keep everything on track. Would never have believed 39 years ago the state of things now. But he demanded me to walk by faith. And along the way, the force of anxieties, fears built up and eventually that full strength just collapsed to force me to surrender absolutely everything and be content with weakness so that he could be the strong one. Okay? To be content with weakness. Putting it in another way, let me say it this way. Suffering, unbearable suffering, Push me to the place of deep surrender of all that I hold dear in my life to get me to do my part of whatever is lacking in my flesh, which is my perceived courage, my perceived strength, my perceived knowledge, my abilities, so that I could get onto the other side of the cross. 
which is His undiluted power for your sakes. Let me finish with this scripture. And I'm going to read it from the Amplified. It's so powerful. Colossians 1, 24 to 25. This is Paul saying, Even now I rejoice in the midst of my sufferings on your behalf. And in my own person, I am making up whatever is still lacking and remains to be completed on our part of Christ's afflictions. That doesn't mean Christ didn't suffer enough. No, He's done His part. Now it's my part. I've got to yield to the suffering so that I can die. This is going to be our first subject tomorrow. The power of the cross. Guys, it's not just some boring (gasps) power of the cross. There is power when we understand the cross. And he says, to be completed on our part of Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. In it, I became a minister in accordance with the divine stewardship, which was entrusted to me. Woo! I love that. For you as its object and for your benefit to make the word of God fully known among you. In it, I became a minister. I, lo- I love it. That divine stewardship. That reminds you of that, the Second Timothy 1.14 scripture we talked about of guarding the deposit that's been entrusted. This is a divine entrustment. It's a treasure that has been given to us. And it's for your sakes. It's for the people around us' sake. It's to make the Word of God fully known among you. It's a mystery. So this is, this is the mystery of the church now. Come on, guys, let's get this. this that's why it's not about a, a me-centred, the one man, the I kind of faith. It's, it's us. It's the body of Christ. This is who the church is. It says, The mystery of which was hidden for ages and generations, but is now revealed to His holy people, His saints, to whom God was pleased to make known how great for the Gentiles are the riches of His glory of this mystery, which is Christ within and among you. That's all we need. Woo! The hope of realising the glory. So the key phrase is divine stewardship. The saints of God are the target audience. And to be effective in the stewardship of this entrustment, the suffering of Christ must be completed in me in order to complete this act of stewardship for the church. All right? And then listen to the last verse, last two verses. He is the one. He is the one that we preach and we proclaim warning and admonishing everyone, instructing everyone in all wisdom that we may present every single one of you mature, fully grown, complete and perfect in Christ for this labour. And in the Amplified says, up until weariness, unto weariness, till sheer exhaustion, striving, but not in our own strength, with all the superhuman energy which He so mightily enkindles and works within me guys let's learn to rejoice I tell you what I had a I've had a breakthrough this week and realized that I can actually rejoice in my suffering it's there for a reason I can say to you imitate me as I imitate Christ not because I'm perfect and have it together no because I'm learning the power of suffering and yielding to the power of truth it's amazing let the word of God speak to you richly Let's just stand. Let's just sing this. Or you can sit. I don't care. Do whatever. You can lie on the floor if you want for all I care. But let's sing this song. 
Yes, Father, this is what you're doing in us, Father. I rejoice, Lord Jesus. Come on, let's just begin to pray in the Spirit. Let's begin to pray. Come on, let's engage with God. Get rid of all formality. Let's just engage with the Holy Spirit. Come on, guys, we're going to learn what it is to persevere in His strength. That is, build yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit.